This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Breaking news as we come on the air in the impeachment inquiry into President Trump just moments, moments ago. Moments ago, we received this document. And we now have the whistleblower's complaint. This is a redacted version. A declassified complaint from that whistleblower. That expressed serious concerns about the president using the power of his office to solicit interference from a foreign country in the 2020 U.S. election. One document is at the center of an impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump. Today on the show, what's in that document? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. And I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Thursday, September 26th. Like everybody else, I got my hands on it when it was posted online by the House Intelligence Committee early Thursday morning. The whistleblower complaint is nine pages. Our colleague Jerry Seib spent the morning reading it and trying to figure out what the whistleblower is saying between the lines. The whistleblower doesn't really do the addition for us, to be totally honest. It is a complaint that doesn't really draw conclusions about what was really happening. We're left to infer that this is an attempt by the Trump administration to set up pressure on the new Ukrainian government so that it will feel it needs to do what Rudy Giuliani, the president's lawyer, uh, has been very open about saying uh, he wants the Ukrainian government to do, which is turn over information, anything it has about what Democrats might have done in 2016 and what they might have done to benefit uh, Joe Biden. We sat down with Jerry and the complaint, and we decided to go through the events that the whistleblower brings up in the document in chronological order, starting with one of the earliest. It seems like the, the place in time that this really starts is in March 2019, when some Ukrainian officials make allegations in this news website called The Hill. What were those allegations? Walk us through that. Well, the assertions in those stories in the Hill were that Ukrainian officials had gotten involved in the 2016 election to benefit the Democrats and to benefit Hillary Clinton, even while many people were alleging that Russians were working on behalf of Republicans and the Trump campaign. And the articles also made the claim that Biden had quashed an investigation into an energy company there that his son was affiliated with. Right. When Joe Biden was vice president. He basically took over handling the Ukraine account on behalf of President Obama after the Russians had invaded and took over Crimea, part of Ukraine. And basically, the president said to then Vice President Biden, you're in charge. Let's go make sure we're taking care of Ukraine. One of the things the vice president did at that point was to say to the Ukrainian government, 
you need to clean up your act and end a long record of corruption if you're going to stand and have the full support of the Ukrainian people, which you need when you're threatened by Russia. And one of the things you need to do is replace the prosecutor general who was seen as being uh, very lax, not really pursuing uh, corruption cases vigorously. And Vice President Biden said, you need to get rid of this guy, which, by the way, was the same message the State Department was delivering, the IMF was delivering, the World Bank was delivering. The controversy arose because while Vice President Biden was delivering this message, his son was sitting on the board of a Ukrainian energy company, and some people thought the prosecutor general that the U.S. government was trying to get rid of was looking at that energy company. And so the assertion was Vice President Biden was involved in a conflict of interest. He was trying to get rid of a prosecutor general in Ukraine who was, in fact, looking at a company with which Hunter Biden, the vice president's son, was involved. Now, the Ukrainian government has looked into that assertion over the last couple of years and has consistently said there's no evidence that there was anything uh, wrong done here. But that's one of the things that was being aired this spring, not new assertion, but one that was getting new life. Why do you think these articles from March 2019 are mentioned in the whistleblower complaint at all? Well, I think the whistleblower clearly thought those articles were produced with the encouragement of uh, if not the Trump administration, Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal lawyer. The articles are important to the whistleblower because they are evidence that there was a concerted campaign underway to further these allegations that the Ukrainians were helping the Democrats in the 2016 campaign and that Joe Biden did something nefarious by helping his son uh, and the energy company with which his son was affiliated, um, and that those were facts that the Trump administration but more importantly, the Trump re-election campaign wanted to get aired in the U.S. Because the complaint also talks about how in April, Rudy Giuliani starts sort of talking publicly about these complaints. And I'll just read it here. On the bottom of page six, there's a footnote 12, um, which says that in April and May, Giuliani goes on Fox News. That there were a group of people in the Ukraine that were working to help Hillary Clinton and were colluding really, <laughs> with the Clinton campaign. And it stems around the ambassador and the embassy being used for political purposes. And he tweets and he, and he has an interview with the New York Times where he says that uh, the president, quote, basically knows what I'm doing, sure, as his lawyer, and also goes on to say, uh, quote, we're not meddling in an election, we're meddling in an investigation, which we have a right to do. There's nothing illegal about it. Right. When Mr. Giuliani says in those statements in April, we're not meddling in an election, we're meddling in an investigation, who is the we? Because he has no official government position. He is not part of uh, the national security apparatus. He's a private citizen who happens to be a personal lawyer and, by his accounts, a volunteer personal lawyer for the president. But he is speaking about these uh, questions as if he's representing the president of the United States as an official member of the U.S. government and has the full backing of the president. And it does seem that President Trump is aligned with Giuliani on this because also on page six of the whistleblower complaint, uh, it notes that in an interview in late April on Fox, President Trump calls some of these allegations big and incredible. So people have been saying this this whole uh the concept of Ukraine, they've been talking about it actually for a long time. And also says that um, the attorney general Barr would want to see this. 
Right. And so you have the articles, you have uh, the president's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, talking about them. And then ultimately, you have the president himself talking about them and, of course, thereby drawing more attention to them. Mm -hmm. And so amid all of this, as these allegations are sort of swirling, there is an election in Ukraine. And the guy who wins is Volodymyr Zelensky. So there we have it. Fact is following fiction. Ukraine's TV president is going to become Ukraine's real president. Incredible. So that was back in March and April. Why do you think the whistleblower is bringing up incidents that far back? Well, I think you can surmise that the point of the whistleblower, including all this in his chronology, is to say the people who wanted these allegations out and who wanted to assert that other Ukrainian officials previously had given help surreptitiously to Democrats were about to lose their jobs. Because mm-hmm, it seems like the prior president was perhaps aligned with Trump on these allegations. And and it's unclear to the Trump administration whether or not the new president, Zelensky, will also be aligned with them. Correct. I think that's the backdrop of the change of power in Ukraine as it affected the interest in particular by Rudy Giuliani to get more of this information out. And the, the whistleblower complaint also talks about Giuliani making plans to go to Ukraine after the election. But then Giuliani cancels that trip because he says, I'm not going to go because I think I'm walking into a group of people that are enemies of the president, in some cases, enemies of the United States. And in one case, one presumes that what he's really saying there is that um, there's a new crowd that's come into power in Ukraine, and the people who previously were sympathetic to my desire to get more evidence out that would be harmful to Democrats have lost their jobs, and there's a new sheriff in town, and um, they're not as friendly to us. But again, that's a, a conjecture. It's not really clear what Giuliani is referring to there. And the whistleblower also talks about how Ukrainian officials might be feeling about everything that's going on. Tell us about what the complaint says about that. I think the assertion in the whistleblower complaint, or, or at least the implication, is that the new Ukrainian government was starting to feel that it was under pressure to cooperate with President Trump and his political uh, aspirations to find damaging information that would help him in 2020. And they were starting to get signals that the weight of the U.S. government might be brought down upon them, or certainly that they would would please President Trump if they were more cooperative in this effort to get to the bottom of what Ukraine did and didn't do in 2016. And then, not long after all this is going on, in July— The report says that military aid to Ukraine is put on pause. Uh, And then this is on in the appendix on page two. It says that on July 18th, the whistleblower talks about how earlier that month, government officials had been instructed to withhold security assistance to Ukraine. And the whistleblower notes that in some internal meetings, it emerges that the direction came, quote, directly from the president. Right. And this, I think, is one of the more explosive parts of the whistleblower complaint because it fleshes out that the president suspended congressionally authorized uh, military aid to Ukraine in July, and it creates the impression that the Ukrainians know the aid has been suspended, and it creates a a source of leverage over the new Ukrainian government because they want this money and they are— uh, wondering what do we need to get it released. And then in that context, the president has the conversation with the new president of Ukraine. 
Why is military aid for Ukraine so important? Well, so the problem for Ukraine has been an ongoing one, which is that it feels under pressure and even under threat from uh, Russia, both politically, economically, but also militarily, and to make sure that they can resist efforts by either Russia or Russian-backed Ukrainian forces, it wants help to make sure that it can rebuff those threats and defend itself if necessary. So this is, from the Ukrainian point of view, an existential question, not a small one. It's after this money is withheld that on July 25th, President Trump and Volodymyr Zelensky get on the phone. And on that call, Trump first brings up how the United States has been, quote, very, very good to Ukraine. Zelensky thanks the president and mentions military supplies that he'd like to get from the United States. It's after this that the president asks for a favor. He talks about the 2016 election and then brings up Biden and suggests Zelensky and the Ukrainian government look into both. He also says that Zelensky should connect with Rudy Giuliani and with Attorney General Bill Barr to, quote, get to the bottom of it. But one of the biggest allegations in the whistleblower complaint is about what happens once they hang up. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever. And you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said today that the most concerning thing in the whistleblower complaint was the White House's response to the phone call between Trump and Zelensky. The whistleblower notes that there were a lot of other people who were listening to the call, at least some of whom expressed their concern about what they were hearing. Right. And in fact, if you think about that, that the whistleblower portrays this call as what everybody thought was just going to be a routine, a customary kind of congratulatory call. No sign within the system that something um, evil or something extraordinary was going to happen here because there were, by the whistleblower's account, maybe a dozen people listening in, White House staff people, national security folks, as somebody from the State Department who's named specifically by the whistleblower. That's not the way a phone call like this would have been conducted if uh, somebody had known or planned ahead of time to do something they thought was dangerous, risky, or illegal. But what the whistleblower lays out is a piece of, of evidence, or at least an assertion, that cuts in the other direction. He says that after the call, 
White House officials knew that something uh, sensitive and controversial had happened there because they intervened to, in the words of the whistleblower, lock down all the records of the phone call, especially the transcript of the call that was produced, saying essentially it was moved from the normal channels in which such a transcript would have been uh, transmitted around the government into a smaller and highly classified computer system that couldn't be seen by very many people and doesn't draw a conclusion about why that was done, but notes that that's what happened to the records of this call. Democrats, of course, um, at the hearing that was held on Thursday about the whistleblower complaint, immediately jumped on that as sign of a cover-up. And, you know, the rule of thumb in Washington, and I've been here for a long time, has always been the thing that gets you in trouble usually isn't the crime, it's usually the cover-up that follows. And so Democrats have gone right there and asserted that this is evidence of a cover-up. Now, I think it's also important, though, to note that there were other reasons why people in the White House and the National Security Council staff and in the intelligence community might have wanted to move this uh, transcript into a private channel because there have been at least two other instances in which presidential conversations, President Trump's conversations with foreign leaders have leaked out. And that's not only embarrassing to the president and the foreign leaders he's talking to, it's potentially very damaging to the process by which a president goes about conducting diplomacy. And you look at this set of circumstances, and you can say there were plenty of reasons to want to move this transcript into a very private and well-guarded channel, having nothing to do with the political favor the president is alleged to have asked. Mm -hmm. But the whistleblower also notes that there were discussions among White House lawyers because they— uh, quote, had witnessed the president abuse his office for personal gain. Right. The, the implication of the whistleblower is exactly that, that the reason White House officials were concerned was because this fit into a pattern of uh, trying to pressure foreign leaders to help the president in his personal political ambitions. Again, you're, you're left to wonder whether that's the real reason or if the whistleblower knows the real reason or is simply making an assertion based on putting um, a couple of things together. He is certainly, uh, uh, the whistleblower is reflecting what he says were the nature and content of the conversations he had with White House officials about this move at the time. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay, so finally, the complaint suggests that there was some follow-up after this July 25th phone call. The Whistleblower points out that Giuliani went to Madrid to meet a Zelensky advisor. What does the whistleblower say about that? Well, it's just that. The implication, again, is that the president had extracted from his counterpart, the president of Ukraine, a, a promise to cooperate with Rudy Giuliani as he pursued his Ukraine investigation, and that that opened the door to Mr. Giuliani flying off to meet new Ukrainian officials, people who worked for the new Ukrainian president, to talk about precisely that. So the implication is that the presidential phone call opened the way for Mr. Giuliani to then go directly to the new Ukrainian government and say, here's what I want to find out. I suspect we'll be hearing from other people who um, can uh, go beyond the whistleblower uh, himself and let us know if that was, in fact, a widespread concern uh, in the White House or not. After the whistleblower complaint was filed in August, it was blocked from going to Congress. 
Only last night, after the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, officially launched an impeachment inquiry, was a copy of the report given to lawmakers on Capitol Hill. Today, White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham responded to the whistleblower complaint. She said, quote, nothing has changed with the release of this complaint. She called the report nothing more than a collection of third-hand accounts of events and cobbled together press clippings, all of which shows nothing improper. The president, she said, quote, has nothing to hide. That's all for today, Thursday, September 26. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.